You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Welcome to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. This is the show that's all about defending the Christian faith from error and attacks from the inside and outside of the church. We've got a rip-roaring uh, conversation for you lined up today. We're going to be talking about Brian McLaren and the Emergent Church. And I've got Internet Bad Boy himself, uh, the Reverend Ken Silva, with me today in studio. And so uh, he's, he's actually on the phone. Uh, we got him on the line. And we're going we're gonna to talk about Ken. Now, a lot of folks don't like Ken Silva. He seems to say it like it is and uh, says things that really get people upset. But, uh, well, let's see if uh, what that's all about. Ken, you with us? I certainly am, Chris. All right. Good to have you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. All right. Well, hopefully we won't make too much of a fool of ourselves today with our, uh, with our studio patchwork here, getting you on the phone. All right. So, uh, Ken, you... Uh, you seem to be a lightning rod on the internet, and uh, a lot of folks don't like the like your tone. They don't like the things that you say. I mean, you call people names and say some mean things. Um, you know, is it unloving to call people heretics and to criticize them the way that you do? And in fact, uh, you know, we all have those bracelets that we've been wearing for the past few years. What would Jesus do? Is this how Jesus would handle these folks? Well, I, I have to say, I believe it is. Yeah. And I believe there's different ways of handling it, too. You know, in other words, if people don't like what I do, they might want to just pray and thank God they don't have to do it, because it isn't for everyone. I'm not saying everyone has to handle things the way I handle them. So hopefully that'll help. Okay. So um, do you have any examples where Jesus has been harsh with his detractors? Well, Matthew 23, you brood of vipers, you snakes, you whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And I'll do it. Make a convert, travel over land and sea to make a convert, make them twice the son of hell you are. Well, that's not very kind, is it? Children of the devil, John 8. Well, it seems to me like these guys have this idea that, uh, you know, Jesus being love incarnate would uh, always handle people with kit gloves. And what you're saying here is, is you're describing a Jesus who uh, gets in people's face and calls them names. Well, you know, it's all part of understanding the time you live in and the particular work that God calls you to do. Right? Not everyone gets to have the Jesus who was kissing the babies you know, and you know, walking around with the halo and all that. There's times for that, and, and there are things on my site, especially when I first began this ministry, where I was writing more devotional aspects, but the Lord has called me into being confrontational. And frankly, to be perfectly honest with you, I hate that kind of work. Okay, so you don't enjoy it. No, not at all. But you feel it's necessary. Well, I feel it's necessary, Chris, because as I sought God about it, uh, I originally came on, and the, the Internet was given to us, the website, and it was simply to have an Internet pulpit. I was simply publishing my sermons to begin with. Mm -hmm. But as time went on, I felt the Lord was asking me, just, you know, we need someone who's going to go up and say things in differently than the what I call a plus-minus apologetic, because, mm -hmm. again, I'm trained in apologetics, and, and you're generally taught that you come on, you, you're going to talk about a subject, you always start with a good, Maybe you'll name your three points that you say, well, they're doing this good and this good and this good. And then you have seven points that are bad, and then you, at the end you go, so I guess the bad outweighs the good. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. And it's being done to death, as far as I'm concerned. 
Well, okay. uh, yeah, I uh, I was a big fan of Dr. Walter Martin when he was still alive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, had some interesting confrontational methods himself, and he wasn't very well liked. He was a bull in a china shop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I... In listening to you and watching what you write, it seems like you have about as much tact as Dr. Martin did. <laughs> uh, like he used to say, tact is in my long suit. Right. But you know, it's, it's interesting you bring him up because his very last, one of his last lecture series that he was doing was the Cult of Liberal Theology. Right, I remember that lecture. And he was rugged on what he was saying. He, he said, I risk my credibility when I say it as bluntly as this. But I've done my homework, I'll stand by what I say. And when I heard that, it was that was really the message that God that and you know the, we all love the baptism of boldness where He talks about non rockabotus ecclesiasticus. Right. Whatever you do, don't want to rock it boat. <laughs> and they, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. That's but right. When I heard that cult of liberal theology, Chris, it's like the Lord put the light switch on and says, "Now you understand what you're reading with Brian McLaren, don't you?" Right. Well, t- now while talking about Brian McLaren, um, you know, been uh, reading. The Secret Message of Jesus, I've been reading The Generous Orthodoxy, and uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, after reading him for the past few weeks, I feel like my brain is about melted. You know, it's getting a radar fix on this guy is uh, is like trying to, you know, get a radar fix on an F-22 stealth fighter. Um, He's not very forthcoming with what he believes. And uh, many of the things I've uh, read from him uh, make me feel like he's actually attacking the Christian faith. Well, he is. That's the whole thing with the emergent rebellion, what I call the emergent rebellion against the Bible, which he is a key figure in, whether he likes like it or not, he is. And you, uh, you know he's influencing a lot of people. He was brought on board early to, to kind of oversee the young pastors, Paget and those guys. That were mm-hmm. But as far as McLaren himself, what he's a master at, in my opinion, is he'll start a sentence, and he'll almost make a point. And right. then he withdraws the point and says, well, maybe it's this. Mm-hmm. And he never quite gets there, and, and you do. You, you kind of real, it's like you know, trying to nail down the proverbial jello, as they say. Right, it's, it's, uh, it's doublespeak. Well, it is. And, and as uh, Dr. MacArthur says, preceding doublespeak comes doublethink. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole point is, you look at his title of his book, He's offended everyone if, if people were smart enough to be offended. Yes. What I think is interesting in reading his quotes, um, there's a few quotes out there where he tries to position himself um, as somebody who's a conservative Christian. And, uh, you know, for the past year, he's not been behind the pulpit, but I believe he uh, he was a pastor for quite a while. Yes, he at, landed his church. Yeah. And uh, I, I went to that church and looked at their website, and it had a pretty standard orthodox type of uh, doctrinal statement, and I thought, "Wow, I you know after reading these books, I wonder if McLaren actually believes the doctrinal statement that his own church has published on their website, or is it like other churches where the the doctrinal statement on the website is just some kind of obligatory form that you have to fill out, and then you just preach whatever you want?" Well, it it, it seems like that. I mean, again, I can't read their heart. I, I don't know him personally. But it, it, it certainly would. I would be tend. I would tend to think that the way he's always unpacking words and cool deconstructing everything. Uh, who knows what meanings actually are attached to these words? Right. Well, let's get into some of these quotes here. Um, I've got a Christianity Today article uh, from 2004 sitting on my desk here called "The Emergent Mystique," and McLaren says this. He says, "I don't think we've got the gospel right yet." 
Um, what does it mean to be saved? I, I don't think the liberals have it right, but I don't think we have it right either. None of us has arrived at orthodoxy. That's quite a statement. Uh, do you think you can unpack that for us? Well, I think the first thing I would say to him is, well, how do you know, Brian? How would you know that no one's got it right? And also, the word orthodox means correct belief. It doesn't mean we have everything nailed down. So he's very good at building straw men. Not that I want to get into using that term. But when you, you say some of the things he'll say, he can also then say, well, I didn't exactly say that. Uh -huh. I mean, that's what kind, of, what kind of what we're dealing with. Is this some kind of a, of a theological fan dance here? Well, I, I believe it is. I think what he's trying to do is he's... he's Without question, he's on the liberal side. We can at least say that. Okay, make your case there. Okay, you're claiming he's a liberal. Why would you make such a claim? Well, if he's, if he's a conservative Christian, he's going to be able to articulate the gospel, and he's not going to say we haven't arrived at orthodoxy. He would agree with the statement Dr. Walter Martin said. Yeah. And when we're speaking of Dr. Martin, we're talking about a man. Hey, Martin, I'll come right back to McLaren. But Dr. Martin, his doctorate was in the first 500 years of the patristics of the ancient church. Okay. So he's an expert in church history. And he would often say, Dr. Martin would often say, the historic Orthodox Christian Church. McLaren would not believe in the historic Orthodox Christian Church gospel that the gospel is we are saved by God's grace alone, by faith alone, Christ alone. We're here to seek and save the lost first. Then we go out on a secondary phase and take care of social issues. Mm. He's got it backwards. Mm -hmm. We do the social issues first, and then people will want to follow Jesus. Well, their follow Jesus is not the same thing you and I would be talking about. Right. right. Well, here, here would be my question. Um, uh, I'm kind of a simple-minded guy myself. I like things to be simple to understand and, and things to be uh, spelled out for me pretty clearly. Right. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I thought, pretty much gives a super concise view of what the gospel is. Let me read it to you, and, and let's compare notes here with what McLaren is saying. And here's the Apostle Paul writing to the uh, Corinthian church. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Um, just using the historical grammatical method of, of, an, of interpretation and hermeneutics here, Paul basically says he's, he's going to tell you and remind you of what the gospel is. and He's going to define it for us. Okay, and gospel, uh, euangelion in the Greek, means uh, good news. So I'd like to remind you of the good news I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, of course, he's, he's speaking to people expecting them to already know this. Right. He's reminded them, so I just want to point that out. You're right, I'm, yeah. I'm right with you. Okay, and here's what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And um, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. All right, it, this seems pretty straightforward to me. The gospel that, that Paul says he preaches is that Christ died for sins and that he was buried and raised on the third day and that he appeared to other people. That was pretty much the gospel message in a nutshell. Right. In Galatians 1.12, he says he got it from Jesus Christ himself. Right. 
He claims that he got it directly from revelation of Jesus Christ. This was not given to him by a man. So I'm thinking he has a pretty good idea what it is. Well, it doesn't sound like it's all that complicated to me. It isn't. Um, you know, it's it's set forth in pr some pretty simple propositional truths. This does not sound mysterious. No, it doesn't sound mysterious at all. <laughs> okay, so he, let, let's let's compare what Paul wrote now to what McLaren says. I don't think we've got the gospel right yet. What does it mean to be saved? I don't think liberals have it right, but I don't think we have it right either. None of us has arrived at orthodoxy. I mean, this this reminds me of the Mormon claim that um, true Christianity fell off the face of the earth with the death of the Apostle John. And it wasn't until the angel Moroni arrived with a bunch of gold plates that uh, Christianity was restored. Is there some kind of a similarity to, you know, to Mormonism here? It's exactly a similarity to it. And being that my background is counter-cult and apologetics, I lived in Rock Springs, Wyoming, planted a mission church in 94. I lived in Rock Springs, which is just outside of Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. I lived there for 10 years. I'm well-versed in Mormonism. And the, the point is, I'm well-versed in, in a cult. And the reason I labeled this the new cult of liberal theology, the emergent church, two years ago I said it, was exactly what you just brought up. We, we don't have it right, but we're going to go to Brian. He's got it right, and Rob Bell has it right, and Tony Jones has it right, and those are the men that interpret scripture. Well, since, since, uh, since saying this back in 2004, here we are in 2007, Brian McLaren has the uh, an, you know a book out called the uh, the Secret Message of Jesus. Hello. Can you hear me? No, no, I'm saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. It, I mean, secret he, message. Hello. Secret message. <laughs> yeah, it's a. It, it re alert went off. Yeah, it reminds me of Gnosticism. You know, here he's got a secret message of Jesus. We haven't got it right, and he's claiming that we've got it all wrong. This idea that uh, Christ came primarily to save sinners uh, is incorrect, and he's saying that Jesus came to earth to uh, proclaim the kingdom, and that's a here and now kind of thing. What does well, that mean? Yeah, what exactly is he talking about? He's talking about very, very close to liber liberation theology. That's preached in Roman Catholicism in the, in the, down in South America. And basically, if you look at some, uh, to answer the question, Brian McLaren did the uh, retranslation of the book of Acts, uh -huh. did the dust off our feet. On a, one of my places, I, we're having a bit, really bad thunderstorm here. Yeah, I hear that. It's put a little static on the line, too. Yeah, yeah static. that's what it was. God must not want us to be talking about this. <laughs> well, I think he's happy we're angry with the emerging church. <laughs> <laughs> the point right there is when uh, when you're dealing with this, this cultic mentality and in that book, Dust of My Feet, uh, the, the Ephesian jail, uh, the Philippian jailer asks, the two, remember you asked Paul, what should I do to be saved? Right. In McLaren's translation it says, you follow Jesus, the liberating king. Oh, he retrans, whoa. Yeah, it's, I have it on one of my pieces. I can't, uh, Brian McLaren, the emerging cult leader, you go in that, on a prizing, you, you can actually read that quote right out of the book. Now, I'm doing this from memory, but I, it wasn't too long ago I taught on this passage uh, in uh, the, the class that I teach. Jesus, the liberating king. And, uh, I don't know, right out of the Greek, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household or your whole family. Yeah, uh, the word there is kurios. <laughs> title, Lord. Right, believe in the Lord. Right. You know, and then it's the... the liberating king in McLaren's translation, because he's got that idea that Jesus has come to establish a kingdom on earth. 
and the kingdom is now. That's the good news. And if you listen to Doug Padgett, he'll say the same thing. The good news, the good news is we need we we're whatever religion you're in, you just go see what God's doing and you join in the kingdom. That's the good news. Is that follow Jesus? Similar to Jehovah's Witness with their kingdom. Well, on it's earth? yeah. My wife is asking if that's uh, has to do with similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe that uh, you know the God's kingdom will be established on earth after Armageddon. So, but McLaren is kind of talking here and now kind of stuff. It's, it's uh, Rob Bell too in Velvet Elvis. You know, you said you're reading that. When you get there, you'll see it. It's going to remind you. His view of the kingdom will remind you very much of the Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. We're going to yeah. have a kingdom on earth. Interesting. So, Isaiah 66 says the earth's going to get kind of hot. <laughs> I thought he was going to remake the whole thing. Well, it's kind of like it works sort of like this. The way that conservative now, if Brian's a conservative Christian, he would agree with what I'm going to say. Conservative Christians would believe that, you know, there's a, the kingdom is here in a sense through the church. The church mm-hmm. represents the kingdom for God. You're not in the kingdom until you are born again, recreated inside. You have to be born again, regenerated. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, you're part of the kingdom. But then there's going to be a millennial reign where the earth is kind of restored. That's the part that they kind of get. That's the, they, they kind of got that part. Uh-huh. And then after that, there's like some other stuff that goes on. I'm not going to get into pre, post, mid, triple. You know, it's all pan-tribulation. It'll all work out in the end. Right. It'll pan out. But the point there is, at the end of all of that, there will be a new heavens and new earth after this one is destroyed, which he may be doing here in the east right now. <laughs> well, not the worst storm there. I've seen at once. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, hang on the line. We're coming up to our first break. Uh, you're listening to the Fighting for the Faith Radio podcast. I'm Chris Roseboro. We'll be right back. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? Okay, welcome back to the Fighting for the Faith Radio podcast. I'm Chris Roseborough. Just a reminder to our listeners, if you would like to uh, ask us a question, uh, take on some of the comments that we're making here on this show, we are set up to uh, receive your emails, and you can email us at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And if uh, your email question passes our stringent standards for asking you know for bringing them to our listeners then we'll put it on the air and we'll answer them on the air just want to let you know that okay we're st- in the middle of a conversation here with uh, the reverend ken silva and uh, we're talking about brian mclaren and the emergent church and the static on the line that you hear there is caused by the fact that uh, uh pastor silva is in the middle of a downpour and thunderous storm there in the east and so uh, we're going to try to work through it anyway can you there Yes, I am. All right, welcome back. Thank you. All right, so um, interesting things about uh, McLaren here. He says we haven't got the gospel right, but he seems to think he has it right, and he's kind of redefined the whole thing. Um, I want to talk about uh, McLaren's views on hell. He did a couple of articles um, on a website called Out of Ur, and uh, interesting name for a website. It's associated with uh, with uh, Christianity Today magazine. And uh, let me read a couple of the the quotes here. Um, Let's see. We've got, uh, he says, quote, Tony Campolo and I might disagree on the details, but I think we're both trying to find an alternative to both traditional universalism and the narrow, exclusivist understanding of hell that unless you explicitly accept and follow Jesus, you are excluded from eternal life with God and are destined... For hell, that's troubling. 
it sounds like he's completely trying to redefine what salvation is and wants to redefine it in a way that it's so generous that uh, sinners don't end up in hell. Well, I, I'm not trying to be flip, but I, I kind of think this is, you could really say Brian's middle name is redefined. <laughs> Brian R. McLaren. Yeah, I mean, yeah. because everything he talks about, he has to redefine. Well, if you're an Orthodox Christian, conservative Christian, you and I will have some differences on issues. Uh -huh. right? And we might talk to each other and kind of redefine a little bit what we're saying, but we're going to agree on the cardinal doctrines of the faith. Right. Brian doesn't agree on the cardinal doctrines of the faith, let alone whatever other things he might agree or not agree. Here's the thing he misses, though. See, in, in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son, that would be Jesus, mm -hmm. has eternal life. Right. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, mm -hmm. so God's wrath remains on him. Right. So if you're not born again, you're outside. Rob Bell doesn't like this because he's saying we shouldn't say people are in or out. Yeah, we should. If, if we don't get you outside first to see that you're out there, you won't realize. You listen to Brian, you're going to think everything's fine. Well, didn't the apostles make this distinction themselves? I mean, the Apostle Paul, talking about judging, talks about you know judging those inside of the church and not those outside of the church. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We are supposed to protect the body of Christ, the church. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and in the book of Jude, we're told in no uncertain terms that, that we're going to be inundated with people like oh, Ryan. These guys. Right. And they're called apostates. They were people who at one point were orthodox and had some belief to some level. Mm -hmm. Come back to directly the issue of hell. I just wanted to make a point. That's all right. Um, the, the issue, and Dr. MacArthur's been teaching on this in a, in a teaching that I recommend to everybody, called spiritual terrorism. you got to, like, Know, go work an extra job for a couple of months to get the CD set. You ought to get it. Because it's, he goes through the book of Jude and he's showing us we shouldn't be surprised that these men are coming. Yeah. The thing we need to understand is they have a belief at some point. Mm -hmm. So Brian will talk about Orthodox doctrine. This comes back to the issue you talked about Mormonism. They redefine all the terms. Well, Brian's doing that with hell. Mm -hmm. It used to be quite clear to the people in that day standing there things along the line of Take up your cross and follow me. Well, you could look up and see thousands of bodies hanging on trees. Mm -hmm. You had a rough idea. You were going to go somewhere and die. Right. You weren't coming back. Same thing when he said Gehenna, and he pointed out to the edge of Jerusalem. They knew it was burning fire, smoke. It was going to be really bad. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Martin put it very well. He said, we don't know exactly all the details of what hell is or isn't. And that's where we need to stop letting these emergent guys get us off in that track. Well, Jesus never used imagery, and it could be fire, could be not fire. Whatever. The fact is, if you're not born again, you're headed there. Right. And it was so awful, it took the life of God himself to keep mm -hmm. That's a horrible thing. And we have millions of people, apparently, that are going to go there, because we're not going to tell them the truth, because we're too busy arguing about whether he meant this or that. That's a serious problem. Eternal... Same word, Ionios, in the Greek, that means eternal life, mm -hmm. means eternal separation. It's the same thing. Well, I think what's troubling about his quote from the uh, from this Inferno article out of, uh, the, out of Ur um, is he's trying to shoot the rapids between universalism and, ex and an exclusivist understanding of hell. Yet, in my reading of Scripture, it seems awful clear to me that Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to life. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except for through me, for no other name has been given under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. Yeah. Um, I mean, is I mean, is this the gospel message? Is this the exclusive message that McLaren brings, or is he bringing something else? Well, it's a different message. And and uh, Doug Paget, who's a good friend of his, I was watching the debate he does with uh, Bob DeWay. He's talking about the path. You just mentioned the path to God. He says he doesn't like that metaphor. Because a path means that you're out somewhere and you got to go to a path to get in. Well, what did he just say? He doesn't like Jesus' metaphor? No, he doesn't like the metaphor of a path to get into the kingdom. But whose metaphor was it? It's pretty obvious what it was, exactly. He even said, Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. Uh huh. Because you have to be born again. The, the flesh profits nothing. And, and those are literal things. I mean, now we have the Catholic Church getting all messed up with that. Well, you know, we're going to... He just blood took his blood and it was going to be in the wafer. No, he wasn't that. He said, I'm speaking spiritually. The flesh profits nothing. And, of course, the emerging church and Brian will run in with the dualism and say, well, you're saying that all flesh is evil. That's the old Gnosticism. No, Gnosticism had some parts right. The, the, the flesh in itself is evil. It ties in with the human depravity. But my point here, Chris, is the emergent church, in my opinion, is... is, is devil. It's not God. It's not a move of the Holy Spirit, so it has to be another spirit. Right. It has the to only be. other one's the devil. Mm-hmm. Right. So if mm-hmm. they're going to get upset with me and I'm a bad boy, okay, well, I'll be a bad boy, and later when you find out I was right, then you can tell me I was right. I don't care. Because but for the grace of God, I'd be there too, right? Yeah. I don't dislike these people. I study this stuff. I, You know, I've got Brian's books in front of me. I went and bought them myself. Mm-hmm. So that I could read them just the same way we did. Chris, here's the thing. I used to study non-Christian columns. And God turned me on the church and said, they're in there, Ken. And I'm not the only one. You do the same thing. There's a number of us that do this Because we love these people. Right. Why else would we be having this discussion? Well, Scripture says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Of course it's not. And that's a real freeing doctrine because it means that we're not, we're not fighting against these people. In reality, we're fighting for them. Well, you know, I said to my wife the other night, I had the, the Brian McLaren book, Generous Will of God. He's got a picture of him in the, in the cover there. Mm-hmm. And I said, look at that. He looks like a nice guy. He's got, you know, it says at that point he's like 49, I guess. It says he's got a wife and kids and their grandkids and whatever. It's like, these are real people. Dan Kimball wrote me today that I'm praying for your mother-in-law because my mother-in-law is dying. Mm. That's nice of Dan to do. But Dan, I got I to gotta set that aside right now. As nice as that is, brother, and as nice as that is, Brian, you guys are teaching garbage. You're accepting the Roman Catholic Church that I used to be a part of. You're telling me I didn't need to convert? I didn't believe that? Well, that's just another orthodox expression within a, a, an authoritative faith community. <laughs> Would you make me come over there? <laughs> you see, that's again, that redefining all. We get these gatherings and faith communities. The Bible calls it a church, ecclesia, those called out. What are they called out from? We have to ask the emerging church. You called out of the world. Right. And God then sends us back in the world once we're born again to represent him to seek and save that which is lost. John twenty twenty one. As the Father sent me, now I send you. He right. didn't send us to be the desert fathers and mothers and go out in the cave. What, I, I, frankly, I'd rather be there. What I think is interesting is, is that the way they handle Scripture from what I've, what really I've, in my conversations with them and in what I've been reading and researching is, is that they don't, they don't follow to a strict historical grammatical interpretation of Scripture. No. Um, instead, they've set up these faith communities of somehow being authoritative 
in their interpretation of scripture. They'll say that you know scripture is an authoritative member of their community or yeah. something like that. And um, it, uh, it it basically it really reminds me of the Roman view of uh, the Roman Catholic view of interpreting scripture during the medieval period. They they you know it, the scripture there was a fourfold interpretation of scripture, and you can pretty much and have it interpreted any way you wanted, anything you wanted to say. It was the sky's the limit. Yeah, it's the same thing. And, and, and like in my paper, it says the same thing. You have the, there's three tenets of authority in the Roman Church. You have the magisterium, which includes the Pope and the College of Bishops. You have scripture, which they pay lip service to, and you have tradition. Mm-hmm. But we all know that the, that the Pope and the bishops Trump the tradition and the scripture because they're the ones who interpret that. Right. That's what Sola Scriptura was, just so the people that are following the Rob Bells of the world. Sola Scriptura was just for that reason, to say, no, the scripture alone speaks for God. Right. It defines the church. The church doesn't define it. See, that's the key. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that uh, the Reformation was more than just Martin Luther translating the Bible from Latin or from you know Greek and Hebrew into the German language. There was a whole revolution against how Rome was interpreting Scripture. Sure, especially with justification, how you're saved. Right. And uh, Luther's description, the way the Romans handled it, is he, he said that they, they treated Scripture as, a, as if it were a wax nose. You know, you can bend it any way you want to. And uh, when when you have a hermeneutical principle, which basically means that you can say what Scripture means without any kind of an objective way of verifying, you know what it's saying, then anything goes. The, the, the Scripture can mean whatever you want it to mean, and there's no such thing as truth anymore. And that's if you read the Emergent Manifesto of Hope, you read some of that right in that book, the latest book that Doug Paget and Tony Jones. Uh, we're editors of. Mm-hmm. It's that same kind of thing. We want to find God in the other, the other religion. And there's one guy, uh, Samir Samanovic, I think it's his last name, mm-hmm. and he literally says that we can learn from the other religions. If they're experiencing our God, we need to learn how they're experiencing it too. Well, how, how, how would somebody outside of Christianity experience God? Okay, well, they got it. They, now, now I'll help you think backwards from it. We've got to, we got to think wrong, okay? If you look at it from their perspective, which I say is wrong, you think that men are basically good, but on the cross when Jesus died, the world and the universe was all reconciled, all men were reconciled back to God, and so in they're just they lack information. They might be following other gods right now, but God is working within that to bring this universal family together. Nice. That's the far end of emerging. That's not the, the average emerging guy, but that's where they're going. That's where emerging goes. Um, then what's the point in uh, evangelism at all? That's what they got rid of. They found they found the way to make the gospel non-offensive, and everybody's going to like it. Interesting. And that's what Dan Kimball's book is actually about. Even though he's not, he himself is fairly orthodox in his beliefs. I want that said. Dan's a nice guy. He's not off the deep end yet. He'll get there though, because he's got the mystic stuff in there too. But the point is, his book is called "They Like Jesus, but Not the Church." <laughs> what that really means is they like a Jesus. But they don't like what the Bible really. Right. Well, Scripture warns us that there, you know, that it, you know, he won't, uh, Paul warns the Corinthian church that uh, they they believe in a different Jesus, and he warns them about such things. Mm-hmm. Second Corinthians eleven four. That's right. You know, other spirits, other gospels, other Jesus. Right. You, you and I do have know quite a bit about cults. We can name a bunch of them for you. Right. You know, it reminds me. You know, um, we words have meaning. 
And um, you know, let's let's say you and I both have a friend, and his name is uh, his name is Robbie. And um, and I say, yeah, Robbie's a really cool guy. I'm so glad that you know him. And you know, he's six foot eleven, four hundred pounds, and uh, used to play football for the Chicago Cut of uh, Chicago Bears. And, and you say, well. Uh, that's not the Robbie I know. The Robbie I know is about five foot four. He's really, you know, super rail skinny, and he's a nerd, and he wears uh, Napoleon Dynamite glasses. You know, at that point, we'd realize that we're talking about two completely different Robbies. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the problems that we're experiencing here in the church today is is that people are not taking the time to define terms. They think, oh, the person just said Jesus. That means the Jesus I believe in. And it's when you spend the time researching what these emergent guys are into, it's a, the, the the way they describe Jesus is completely polar opposite from my understanding of what Scripture says about him. But that's the thing. You're, you're exactly right. And that's what I've been trying to tell people. And if you read my writings, yes, lately my writings are rugged to read. But I'm defining my terms, and I'm putting the pejorative adjectives there for a reason, to let you know this is exactly where Ken Silva stands. Now, I'm not saying everyone who writes ought to write like Ken Silver, mm-hmm. but we ought to have the same belief behind what I'm writing. Right. That the Bible is what we're, we're preaching. We're preaching what the Scripture says. Because we've got to look at it this way. We know from Scripture that we can't understand God unless he was condescending enough to speak to us in words. Right. And he spoke in propositional words because he made us as propositional beings with a reasoning test. Well, well, let's. Want to get rid of that. Yeah, well, let's pick that up on the other side of the break. Let's talk about propositional truth and uh, the postmodern way of thinking and how they uh, they, they pretty much are abandoning this propositional truth and they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater as far as you know, propositional truth and modernism. Um, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. We'll be right back. The love of Christ is rich and free. Okay, welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we're in the middle of an interview here with uh, the Reverend Ken Silva. I've got my wife Barbara in the studio with me, uh, the uh, program observer. And uh, if you haven't uh, had an opportunity to uh, visit the Reverend Ken Silva's website, you know, where he has these diatribes and, you know, <laughs> Spits on himself because he's a rabid Calvinist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then uh, you know his uh, website is uh, org, and we'll put a link to it up at uh, fightingforthefaith.com. And just a reminder, if you'd like to send an email, comment, uh, or ask us a question, you can uh, send that to talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Okay, coming back into this idea of postmodernism, um, it, it seems like they're allergic to propositional truths, and they've pretty much deconstructed truth altogether. Right. And, um, and in a way, they've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater as far as our spirituality or Christianity is concerned, because our Christianity definitely does have propositional truth claims associated with it. It relies on it. Right. Um, let, let's talk about this for a second, though. It, it's as if they think that uh, modernism invented propositional truth claims, and uh, I don't think Christianity is either modern or postmodern. No, it's not. You know, it, it, I, I don't even know where to classify it. Is it pre-modern? What would you put it? Well, I mean, I don't think it's even pre-modern. I think we would call it revelatory. Okay. There are truths that were revealed by God that we wouldn't know otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of like a pre-modernism, which went on for quite some time, until about the, the Dark Ages and the Enlightenment and so on. And then 
modernism is really only a 250 years or so. And now we're sort of in this postmodernism. But all of them are bad philosophies with the exception of the revelatory scripture that God gave us. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that the, it's the Reformation itself that really set the foundation up for our modern scientific method and, and uh, where we've gone with the modern society. Um, you know, because it was after the Reformation that people, and you know, decided to explore the world scientifically and uh, try to unravel and figure out how God put things together. That's where you see the first autopsies and vivisections taking place, and you know, advances in medicine, you know, really taking root. And what set the foundation for that was the Reformation, which I think really recaptured a good Christian worldview. Sure, and, and there was somebody, I can't, remember, I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody said that scientists, in that time they were talking about, wanted to follow the footsteps of God and see how he did stuff. Right. That's, that's what they were doing. But, but just because modernism had, you know, had some, you know, something good, we keep the what's good, and we throw out the what's bad. What happened was, what you, the process you just described, was eventually men, the pendulum always swings to an extreme mm -hmm. with mankind. So it began, they, they fell in love with their reason and decided, well, we don't need miracles. And the Thomas Jefferson Bible comes along, you know, Jesus was just a nice guy. And we fall in love with reason. So truth can be discovered by human reason alone. Right. That's wrong. That's a bad philosophy. It doesn't work. And now postmodernism is swinging the pendulum back in the other way. Well, we can't know anything. We're the truly spiritual guys in the emerging church. We're admitting that, you know, we can't know for sure. And it's a spiritual pride they have in themselves to embrace this mystery. You know, it it reminds me of relativism. That's exactly, That's exactly what, it what it is. You know, and it, relativism is a self defeating philosophical proposition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I mean, if I were to say you can't know anything for certain, well, there's one thing that you can know for certain, then, and that's the that there's you can't nothing. know anything for certain. Right. You know, so I mean, how do you have a, an entire epistemology based upon the idea that you can't know anything with certainty? And yet, claim that you know that fact with certainty. That's what needs to be confronted. And, and in fact, what drew me into this emerging conversation, so to speak, was as I began the, the Internet ministry. Okay, I come into the Internet thing. I, I knew nothing about that stuff. I just happened to, a guy gave me a website. I started publishing my sermons. Next thing I know, I'm on Crosstalk with English leaders. Next thing I know, a month after that, I'm, I'm a contributor on her site. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay. And so that, of course, yeah, I'm writing stuff, and then people are starting to come after me in the comment section. So I'm dealing with the first time with people who are emerging. And I'm answering their questions like you and I would, you know, propositional truth and saying, well, the Bible says this, and, and you send the answer out, and you think, oh, good, they'll understand now. Mm -hmm. And they'd write back, and I realized I'm using the same arguments with them I'd use with skeptics. Right. I'm like, what? Yeah. And that's when I began to study it, and I came up with the same thing you did. This is actually Christian agnosticism. It's a type of relativism. Right. And the only way to confront that is to take the argument they present to you, right? Mm -hmm. Flip it in reverse, and then you send it back to them and say, okay, now where are we going? Right. It's well, a very frustrating thing for them to listen to. I don't think Christianity could have ever gotten off the ground if uh, the Apostle Paul was postmodern. <laughs> okay, uh, this is uh, Doug Padgett the other night. He was saying something along the lines of, well, we, we don't know, we, it's not, he would answer your thing about whether you can know for certain. He would say to you, because he said it to Bobby Way, he goes, um, well, it's not that I'm saying we can't know for sure. It's just we can, we can know with reasonable certainty things, but we're not exactly sure how far that reasonable certainty would be. Okay, now, now take that back and stand in front of, you know, you're Peter, and you stand up and you're preaching to the people 
in Acts chapter 2 and you're saying that. Right. Uh, Who would they, convert over that? <laughs> the most they would scratch sure. their head and go, I don't think I've ever heard Jello talk. What, right. Let me, let, let me, let's, uh, keep this context here. Let's get, of uh, the Apostle Paul. Let, let, let's pretend we're on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. Okay, and uh, scripture makes it really clear that whenever the Apostle Paul would uh, land in a new town, he'd always seek out a synagogue. Okay. And he would, uh, he would go into a synagogue and he would reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Okay, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, if anybody's going to be really, really, really super close to being a Christian without being a Christian, wouldn't it be a Jew or a God-fearing Greek? I would, I would say yeah. Okay. I mean, you could almost put them in the pre-Christian category. They believe, they believe the Old Testament, they believe the scriptures, they, you know, they're, they're... Got fa- the foundation. They've, yeah, they got all the foundation. Okay, now, I'm, I'm going to read a quote to you here from Brian McLaren. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay, he says, Many Hindus are willing to consider Jesus as a a legitimate manifestation of the divine. Many Buddhists see Jesus as one of humanity's most enlightened people. A shared uh, reappraisal of Jesus' message could provide a unique space or common ground for urgently needed religious dialogue. And it doesn't seem an exaggeration to say that the future of our planet may depend on such dialogue. This reappraisal of Jesus' message may be the only project capable of saving a number of religions. What is he saying here? I I think he's saying that I'm looking, this is my paraphrase, I'm really looking for a way to get this exclusivity of Christianity out the way so you and I can all worship together and meditate together. Together. All usher into a nice kingdom. Okay. That's what I'm saying, because the bottom line is, I have, believe it or not, I, I, you know, I'm not actually foaming at the mouth, and I, and I actually have friends, and, I, and, and some of them don't believe. You sound really human to me. You don't, you don't, you're not spitting on yourself. You don't sound like that uh, Bible-thumping meanie that, that tells everyone that God hates gay people. Oh, man, don't, don't do that. You're going to ruin my reputation. <laughs> <laughs> but my neighbors are also my landlord. Okay. They aren't believers. Okay. But many times they'll see me out on the porch playing my guitar and singing songs, and I talk to them and talk about stuff. But I can't change the message of what the gospel is if they ask me a question about it. I have to gently, politely, lovingly, and kindly as I possibly can tell them the truth. Right. Right. Understanding that they're going to have trouble understanding some things, and they might not believe today. Because the great thing is, Chris, God has to convert them, not me. Right. But if you really talk to them, they, they would actually say, you know what, Ken's an actually a nice guy, but don't get let that get out too much. <laughs> okay, let's go back to our context here. It's the Apostle Paul. He's blown into town. He's uh, going to the synagogue to preach the God-fearing Jews and Greeks. Okay. But before we get there, I want to I read another uh, Brian McLaren quote. This is from page 260 of A Generous Orthodoxy. And this is sounds like it's a super generous orthodoxy. I mean, yeah. hyper generous would might be the way of putting it. I like that. Here's what he says. He says, I must add, though, that I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion. It may be advisable in not, in many, but not all circumstances to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish contexts. How do you do that? You don't. 
Um, I've never heard of anything like this in the history of mankind. Well, we got to go back. You, you, you want to stay in contact with Paul. If you look in Acts 18, he goes in the synagogue and he, and he reasons with them from the scriptures proving that Jesus was the Christ. Uh-huh. And he's, they knew immediately he's not telling them to stay in their Jewish context and they throw him out. Well, it, not only that, it sounds like he was super certain of the fact that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He knew for certainty that he had actually had a run-in with this Jesus on the road to Damascus. So he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. He knew with certainty that he received the gospel message from Jesus Christ himself directly through Revelation. And that, so when he went in there, he seemed kind of arrogant by postmodern standards, don't you think? He would be, he would be considered very arrogant. Well, right. But he didn't claim to know everything. In fact, the Apostle Paul is very famous for saying in Second Corinthians that we know in part and we prophesy in part. I mean, we don't claim to know everything about everything everywhere, do we? No, and that's a, that's a great point to bring up, because and, and this would be to help anyone who's listening to this broadcast later and wants to try to talk to some of these postmodern people. We have to not get caught up in the argument, and Rob Bell puts this forth a lot, where, oh, no, you, you guys think you have it all nailed down, but Christianity, you know, you know, we found out that we don't have all these things, we're going to question these doctrines, and they're like springs, it doesn't really matter. That's not the point. I'm not saying I know everything about God. One would have to be a fool to say that. Right. I know everything about an infinite being who created the universe out of nothing. Excuse me, what would you say? Mm -hmm. About God? Come on. What we do know exactly what he revealed to us preached. Because 2 Corinthians 4 says, Paul says, we lay the truth out plainly. Right. Not to commend ourselves to men, but they're pleasing God. We have to preach the gospel. We have to tell people that are Hindus or Buddhists or, or Jews. I want them to like me too. You know, when you look at Brian, let's just assume, and I and I wouldn't have any reason to believe that Brian or Rob, or Dan or, or Tony or any of these guys does have it. I believe that they're sincere. That's mm -hmm. my own personal belief. I think they sincerely want people to like them. I have a you know I have no reason to believe they don't think that they're really following Jesus. That they think this is the way Jesus wants them to be. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you something that I haven't even said publicly. I'm going to say it publicly here. The message now is get your sword out and cut the sheep loose from this garbage that's passing for Christianity in the American Christian Church. Mm -hmm. The message is going to be divisive. Not not you. It's not their message. Well, here, here's my question. Are we the ones being divisive or are they? They're the ones who are bringing this new doctrine. I'm, I'm with you 100%. And, and I, I, I said this to a friend today, and I'll say it to you because I also consider you a friend. You can deny that publicly, of course, yourself. <laughs> well, I just said on the air that you don't spit on yourself, so. Okay. Distance yourself if you have to. <laughs> I, I told Mike Corley that, too. I said, you probably can't be friends with me. But anyway, my point is, either, I said to a friend of mine, either the Brian McLarens, the Rob Bells, the Dan Kimballs are Christians, or people like you and me are. Mm -hmm. But our message, the message Erwin McManus preaches and the one I preach are diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. Either he's a Christian or I am. And you know what? I can live with that because that's the black, white, in, out, hot, cold God one. Well, Brian McLaren just put something out saying that he's uh, going to put a FAQ out on his website clearing up the air on a few things. I think he says that oh, uh, yeah. people like you and uh, John MacArthur are, are uh, misrepresenting him. Yeah. But do you ever notice... Well, I'll be interested to see if he's frequently asked questions, if he actually answers them. But what 
this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna write to Dan Kimball because he wrote me again today. And Dan is a nice guy. I'll say it again. He's a nice guy. He doesn't answer my questions when I write him questions. He yeah, he wrote and said, "Would you like to write, ask me any questions you want?" I do. He never answers. Okay, now I'm not going to say why because, you know, he's busy, whatever it is. But the point is, it's, I can't sit around dialoguing all day with you guys because we didn't start the rebellion, you did. Right. The emerging church, and Tony Jones, and you know this because you actually um, brought the paper to my attention, he confirmed everything I've been saying for two years. Oh, yeah. The Terran Over Project and all of that. I thought, uh, I thought Tony Jones's uh, paper on Whence Thou Hermeneutic was uh, rather eye-opening as to how they uh, how they interpret scripture, and gave a really nice, concise history of the emergent church, going back to the Terra Nova Project and the Leadership Network. Well, see, in, in '94, I started a mission church in Rock Springs, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And in '94, I had hair down the middle of my back. I had a secular rock band that I was guitarist, and lead singer, and writer, and all that. And we went out of the church and played in bars. I did the emerging thing, only I didn't know what it was because there was no emerging church then. And Ken Silva was emergent? Well, I was doing the emerging thing. But, but God showed me that it, is, it doesn't work because it was centered on man. Right. I was trying to please men. Sure, you'll have some people respond. I mean, one day I preached and there was 25 people, uh, motorcycle guys. There was like a whole bike club that had come because they'd seen my band. Mm -hmm. And they loved the message, but they got the real message. Right. You see what I mean? I didn't, at least I wasn't preaching the emergent garbage. I was trying their methodology. Right. But I was preaching the right gospel. So it, it's not necessarily the methodology these guys are using. It's the message that people get when we get their attention. Always right. about the message. Yeah, it is always it about is the message. Either you're bringing Christ and him crucified or you're bringing something else. And when you bring Christ and him crucified, you will cut right across their flesh, just like molten metal on flesh. Right. And that's when the Holy Spirit quickens. Do I have time to give you one quick example of how that happened? Well, actually, we're right up against our next break, so why don't we come right back into it as soon as we get back. All right, you're listening to the Fighting for the Faith radio podcast, and uh, we are coming up on our third and final break. We'll be right back. You look Okay, welcome back to the Fighting for the Faith radio podcast. I'm Chris Roseboro. We are continuing our conversation with the Reverend Ken Silva. And uh, we're talking about Brian McLaren and all things emergent, postmodern, and Gnostic. And uh, Ken, right before we went into the break, you had uh, a story that you wanted to tell us. Well, speaking of, of Gnostic, it's kind of right along that line because we were talking earlier about Mormons. And I was speaking one time, and I went, my ministry had got a room like at the Holiday Inn, you know, like the Red Rooster Room, whatever it was called. And I was speaking on his Mormonism Christian, and he put it in the paper and all that. So a friend brings a Mormon guy. He was about 20-something. His name was Ray. And at the end of my talk on, you know, his Mormonism Christian, he comes up with, with the friend, and, and I could see Ray's face is all red. I could tell he was upset. So I said, Ray, well, you know, what's, what's up? He said, well, I, I don't like what you're saying. I said, well, no, I can certainly understand that. Well, I happened to have a Bible study the next night that I taught, so we invited him to come there. Uh -huh. And he told me that night that he had asked all his Mormon missionary friends and everything to answer the questions I'd brought up, and he said none of them could answer them. And to make a long story short, he prayed to receive Christ that night. Wow. That very next night after I upset him by what I said, but it was how I handled him after, you see. Right. The Holy Spirit had this kid all shook up. But I 
you know, said, and I answered his questions at the Bible study. He, and he was the only guy I've ever seen that had tears coming down his face when he prayed. Wow. He, came, he became a member of my church. He stayed with us for a while, and then he, um, he had me marry his fiance and him, and they were part of the church for a while. And then he went to Salt Lake City, and he's only 20-something, but he was shot to death. Whoa. He was killed in a, in a, gro- in a grocery store robbery. He was a clerk. Wow. And I actually, the Lord gave me the privilege because I, you know, took this kid, I, I prayed to bring him in the kingdom, I married him, and then I buried him. Wow. So I know if you preach the gospel, God honors that. How do I know this 20-year-old kid that was 22, whatever he was, he was only going to have that short period of time? Right. But I loved him enough to let him be upset with me. What I, think, what I think is really interesting is is that you got these guys running around the landscape like Rick Warren and Bill Hybels, and they think that the way you make Christians is through man-made methods and marketing techniques. And yet, Scripture tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. These are God's words, and preach, preaching the gospel, God does his thing when we do that. Right, when we're obedient. Right. It's his, it's, and he's the one who converts them. Right. Which uh, leads me into uh, like the last question I want to get into. I, yeah. Are you familiar with the the book uh, Reimagining Christianity by Alan Jones? Uh, well, certainly uh, okay, Alan Jones. Um, uh, his book was uh, recommended by uh, Brian McLaren, and he actually uh, you know puts his name on on the dust jacket of it of the thing. Yes, and and uh, here's what uh, McLaren says about Alan Jones. He says Alan Jones is pioneering is a pioneer in reimagining a Christian faith that emerges from authentic spirituality. I have no idea what that is. Authentic spirituality. I'll tell you if you want to know after. (laughs) Okay, and he says his work stimulates and encourages me deeply. Yet in this book, Alan Jones attacks the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. Here's what uh, Alan Jones says. He says that the church's fixation on the death of Jesus... As the universal, as a universal saving act must end, and the place of the cross must be reimagined in the Christian faith. Why? Because of the cult of suffering and the vindictive God behind it. And then on page 168 of the book, he says, The other thread of just criticism addresses the suggestion implicit in the cross that Jesus' sacrifice was to appease an angry God, known as the penal substitution. The cross was the name of this vile, a penal substitution was the name of this vile doctrine. So, Alan Jones, in this book, explicitly attacks the doctrine that Christ died for sins, also known as the penal substitution at- uh, uh, doctrine of the atonement. And, um, and McLaren, I mean, is it guilty by association at this point to say that, you know, McLaren and Jones uh, are... are, are in cahoots and, and attacking what Christ did for us on the cross? Well, it, 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 it's guilt by association in the proper sense and not the improper sense that they define it. In other words, there is a definite connection between Alan Jones and Brian McLaren. First of all, they're good friends. And look at what he says, okay? He, Alan Jones is pioneering in reimagining a Christian faith that emerges from authentic spirituality. Yeah, what is authentic spirituality? Authentic spirituality is... Meditation. It is what they call those. Is the term they normally will use is spiritual formation, and you'll see the term spiritual discipline, and then underneath that you'll finally get to contemplative spirituality and meditation. Authentic spirituality 
all goes to the meditation. I've studied mystics. I've got I've got tons of books on mysticism from a number of different religions. The key is they all meditate. And when they all meditate, they come to this, what they think is authentic spirituality. Down inside man, the place untouched by sin. Uh-huh. Okay, that's, that's what they think. That's and I'm quoting Thomas spark. Burton, a Roman Catholic monk. Yeah, is this the divine spark that uh, Rob Bell mentions in, yeah. uh, in uh, Velvet Elvis? That's, that's exactly what it is. They, you, you study any, any brand of mysticism. You go to Meister Eichhardt, you can go to any of those guys, you'll find that they use different terms for this divine spark. Uh, the Quakers will call it the inner light. Some mystics will refer to it as the true self. The Catholics that meditate in the uh, Benedictine monks and uh, the Trappist monks that uh, Thomas Merton was, they'll refer to it as the true self. Inside the man, somewhere deep inside, is the true self, the divine spark, and you, you get in touch with God in you. And then eventually you, they get to everyone. Oh, God. You, did you see the interview with Sinead O'Connor? Uh, yes, I did. She, she says it. Yes. She, she says that God's in everything. Okay, that's what all the mystics say. Right. And she seems like the poster girl for the emergent church. Well, it's the same thing. I don't know what her, you know, what her actual theology is. I don't think she's even thought it out from what I can read. Right. But the point is, McLaren and those guys, they, in my opinion, believe in panentheism. I know Jones does. Jones, Alan Jones, I have a sermon in 93 where he preached, and he talks about aim soft. Uh huh. That's the Kabbalic term for God. Okay, define uh, panentheism and okay. pantheism so that uh, the people listening to the podcast know what we're talking about. All right. When we say pantheism, that's Hinduism and Buddhism and those religions. They believe pan, all, theism, God. All is God. That'd be like as drops of water make up an ocean, mm -hmm. so all of us make up God. Okay. Okay, that would be Marianne Williamson, Oprah Winfrey, that kind of stuff. Then there's panentheism. So pan, all, E-N is the prefix, or is in, all in theism, God, all in God. God is in all because everything is in God. Okay. If you have panentheism, then you have everything sharing a divine spark, the divine nature of God. Does that make sense? Sure. Now you can see where Rob Bell's going with this divine spark. I have a, I have a teaching he did. He's in South Africa. I can't remember the title of the sermon. I think it's called... It's not called breathing, it's the other one. Anyway, he talks about the babies when they take their first breath. Could it be they're breathing in the Spirit of God? So he's heading in a bad direction because of this contemplative prayer, this, this contemplative spirituality, mysticism, meditation, whatever you want to call it. Uh -huh. But see, Jones, is a, he meditates like a Buddhist every morning. Hmm. And that's your key. They, they, look at how high esteem they hold Zen Buddhism. Okay, I have a book upstairs by William Johnson, which is called Christian Zen. Mm -hmm. He's a Roman Catholic priest. He's dead now, but when he was alive, he was a Roman Catholic priest who believes in some con connection between Zen and, and Christianity. How is this any different than uh, St. John of the Cross? It's exactly what it is. Okay, so it's, it's right there in that genre. Okay, yeah. Uh, John of the Cross is a disciple of Teresa of Avila. Okay. They are contemporary to just after the Reformation hits goes from uh, Germany and it's over in the other side of Europe, like in England and so on, uh -huh. in the 1600s. They're the counter, uh, actually uh, Avila's in the 50, late 50s, 50s, 60s, 50s, 70s. They're a counter-reformation. It's called quietism inside the Catholic Church. And they're meditating, and that's how they're reforming the Catholic Church. Okay, so they're actually against the Reformation. Okay, well, if you believe that uh, in this panentheistic idea and a divine spark and that that's authentic spirituality, 
then you're going to find yourself at odds with what the scripture teaches regarding um, our state in the flesh in an original sin and its consequences as laid out in uh, Romans uh, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2, that we're dead in our sins, there's no one righteous, not even one. Well, see, now that's how why we redefine the, those terms. You see where we're going now? You see why they have to redefine it? Right. Because that's, I've told you where they're going. Mm-hmm. Now everyone's, you know, not everyone, but many people are going to laugh. Oh yeah, I can. Uh, they'll see. I have studied meditation for a lot of years, and there's a deception that comes, and I believe it's part of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Those don't receive the love of the truth. God sends a delusion that they'll believe the lie. Right. You know, that the lie isn't necessarily... If you look it up in the Greek, the lie doesn't mean there's a lie. It means whatever lie you have, whatever you want, whatever you reject the truth for, God will let you do it. Wow. He gives you to yourself. Mm. That's how nice God is, in a sense. Kind of like what uh, he did with Pharaoh. Exactly. You know, hardened his heart. Yeah. You don't want to let my people go? Fine, I'm going to confirm you in that. And all of this emerging church is attacking the doctrines of grace. And I'm not talking Calvinism versus Arminianism. I'm talking about what the Bible literally says. Right. They have to get rid of that to get this man-centered, what we call semi-Pelagian. Pelagius was a, was a Roman monk years ago, believed that men were basically good. They didn't really even need to be saved. Right. Semi-Pelagianism is Robert Schuller. Man right. is basically good. Well, Rob, Rick Warren, he's, he's the poster boy for that. Right. The semi-Pelagian is this idea that if you make the first move, God will come the rest of the way. Yeah. You know, so... That's false. Yep, I completely agree with you. Romans 3 says we can't do it on our own. (laughs) Because it's tied up in this, what's called human depravity. Human depravity, I was teaching my church this Sunday, human depravity does not mean that uh, Fred over there is just a horribly incorrigible man. Fred over there could be one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. Mm -hmm. Total depravity means nothing in his niceness he could ever do in his flesh will be enough to please God to save him. Well, not only that, it would it would also mean that he cannot turn to God. Correct. He has to be turned. See, and that, either we're going to believe that doctrine and preach it, or we're going to get run over by this semi-Pelagian bus called New Evangelicalism in the American Church. We have to fight it. We have to. Yep, I agree. Well, the lovely Mrs. Uh, Roseboro actually has a question that she would like to ask of you. Hold on here. Hey there. Hello, Barbara. I have a question for you. You were talking earlier about uh, someone that you know who had given you permission to ask any question that you know you would like to ask of him, and you said that he didn't respond to you, and you didn't quite know why. And then you had said that you really believe that these emergent church guys truly believe what they teach. My question is... Do you think it's possible that some of these guys know for a fact that what they're teaching is complete hogwash, but they're being purposely um, deceitful, possibly for their own gain? Because that what they say is so convoluted and so contradictory, it defies logic. And you've got to stop and wonder, what is really their, their purpose in saying these things? That's, that's a great question. And I personally can't, I, I, ethically for me as, a, as the pastor you're speaking with, I'm not comfortable judging somebody's motives to the extent do I think they know that for a fact. Right. I will then say that on some level they must because the book of Jude tells us that there are going to be apostates coming into the church. Right. The reason they're in the church is to draw disciples away and to make money. 
That's exactly what I was referring to. Well, I would believe they yes, they have to be. Now, would I know them individually? And Dan Kimball was the one you're speaking of. Right. Do I think that's of Dan Kimball? No, I don't. Right, right. But I, I know that for some reason Dan Kimball will not be forthright and ask, ask, answer me a question. I've asked him point blank, do you practice contemplative spirituality and contemplative prayer? Mm -hmm. and he told me he doesn't know what it is. Mm, and you know that that can't be true. It can't be true because I, I even showed him in his own book. Right. He Tony Jones' Soul Shaper, and Tony teaches it. Well, I think about, like, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. When you talk to those guys, it is obvious that they truly believe what they teach. They are so convinced that they have the truth. That is a genuine belief. And even though it's wrong, they truly believe that. But some of these other people, and I think about Rick Warren, who makes up Bible verses, and you've got to purposely go about making up a Bible verse. No, he can't be that stupid that he would translate it that poorly. If, can I just offer a suggestion? And yes. Say the same thing. Yes. What I might say, and people are going to be shocked because they think I just want to just bash me. What I would say is, Rick Warren is—he could be sincerely deceived. Yes, he could. When I've talked to Mormon missionaries or Jehovah's Witnesses, you get to a certain level, and I'm sure you've seen it. It's like they flick a tape switch on, and their eyes glaze over, and their yes. testimony thing comes out. Yes. Yes. Well, that's a spiritual deception. That's Second Thessalonians too. Right. I would say that, in my opinion, Rick Warren is in a spiritual deception. He thinks. I'm going to assume the best, that he thinks when he twists the Bible around, he's doing the right thing. Uh -huh. But yes, on some level, he believes that, but I'm willing to say that it's a spiritual thing, that he's not you know, um, purposely trying to, uh, shouldn't use that, he's not consciously trying to deceive people in the sense that, I know this is false, and I'm being a con. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't be comfortable saying that. Uh -huh. But when I look at a guy like Robert Schuller or Joel Osteen, come on, guys, you can't believe that garbage. No, you can't. You can't. You can't believe it. And obviously they're getting great wealth from what they're teaching, and it's a yeah. perk to go out and deceive people knowing that they'll fall for it. Yeah, and there are people like that. I mean, if you look at the word faith movement, too, especially, there, there are hucksters in there. You know, but as far as a Rick Warren and some of those guys, I'm not sure I personally would go that far, but I wouldn't exactly, you know, I don't know. Right. I just know that what, what those guys are doing um, it's causing me to spend hours in prayer and study and agonizing. Believe it or not, I'm not a machine, and these people think I am, I guess. <laughs> I don't like to speak out against Rob Bell or Dan Kimball. I don't like doing it. Right. But someone has to do it because we've had enough of the Al Mollers of the world saying, well, I have significant differences with the emerging church. Well, that's nice, Dr. Moeller. I'm glad you do. But there's more that needs to get done. That's being taught to your kid. Uh -huh. I have an 18-year-old kid in my church named Ryan. And I think of him often, what would have happened to him had he met one of those guys? Exactly. This kid's on fire. He's already over on a website, uh, Symphony of Scripture. He's already over there. That's his ministry. Uh -huh. Right over there with uh, Ben Davis and some of those guys, which is an offshoot of my church. We've been uh, talking with the Reverend Ken Silva. He's got a website. It's uh, www.apprising.org. And, uh, Ken, thank you for coming on our uh, our amateur podcast tonight. My pleasure, Chris and Barbara. It's been, it's been my pleasure. It was a good conversation, and uh, we'll pray that the Lord brings fruit from it. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of the uh, the words of the Apostle Paul uh, before he leaves uh, 
you know, to uh, head to Jerusalem, and, and he's uh, talking with the people at Ephesus, I believe. He says, uh, pay careful attention to yourself and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I think that's what we're talking about here. I believe we are, brother. Yep, and that's why we need to warn the church that this emergent stuff is dangerous. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're bringing a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different message, and it's not authentic Christianity. It's the exact opposite. We need to fight for the faith. Yep. You've been listening to the Fighting for the Faith podcast, and we'd like to thank you all for listening. Until next time, God bless you.